the four o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Moving past the uh, halfway point on Cofield and Company, ESPN Las Vegas. Adam Candy is here. It's Cofield. Let's get to the frenzy. Well, big news of the day, a trade. Chiefs have traded out of the first round to attain, I think, their starting left tackle in Orlando Brown. They gave up a total of four picks, Candy. Too much? What they had to do. You have Patrick Mahomes who was injured last year, playing behind a makeshift offensive line in the Super Bowl, you have no choice. You got to go out there and fix it. And this is also the Chiefs paying the price for what they chose to do last year because the Chiefs went and thought they could afford with the 32nd pick to take the luxury of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. They thought they could take a running back in the first round. Well, here you go. Now you have to pay the price. And I like what they did because I like that they admitted the mistake. And now they move on and say, instead of bringing in a rookie or reaching for a guy who should be picked in the middle of the second round, we go get a guy in Orlando Brown who has proven that he can be an elite player at right tackle or an elite player at left tackle. And we saw last year with moving guys around on the line with the Remmers injury and, and so on for Kansas City, it's not just that simple of taking a guy and moving him from one side to the other and assuming he's going to be good. Orlando Brown, who they get from Baltimore, has done that. Quarterback news in. We were just talking about uh, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and their long-term deals and what the Bills and the Ravens are going to do. Uh, Browns are a little earlier on the clock, but they have already made the decision to pick up the fifth-year option for Baker Mayfield going into his fourth year. You like it? I don't think they had any choice either. I I don't think Cleveland had the option to go any other direction because it has been so long since even the level of quarterbacking play that Baker Mayfield has displayed has existed in Cleveland that you can't start from square one, not with a roster that by the time it got to the playoffs last year was legitimate enough to give the Chiefs a real run in the divisional round. The Cleveland Browns are a legitimate roster this year. They are all the way around a team that is ready to win. And Baker Mayfield showed you that while he might not ever be Patrick Mahomes, Baker Mayfield can play competently. And part of the reason that you draft a quarterback in the first round, that we're having all of these discussions, is to get that fifth-year option. Right. If you take a guy in the second round, if you take a guy after that, then you're dealing with a Dak Prescott situation where after four years you have to make a call. Well, this gave the Browns the ability to bring in Baker Mayfield for a fifth year at the exact same salary that the Raiders are going to be paying Derek Carr next year if he's still around $19 million. Gut feeling. We're not moving on yet. Gut feeling. Does Mayfield get one of these mega deals? Yes, and the reason that he's going to get one of these mega deals is Jared Goff. Because you're going to look at this team, and you're going to say, we have everything else. We can do it with Baker Mayfield. Now, Sean McVay was proven wrong, right? Sean McVay ended up having to eat that. Baker Mayfield is a better quarterback than Jared Goff. Baker Mayfield's high moments have been better than Jared Goff's high moments, and his lows haven't been as low as Jared Goff's lows. 
And the other thing is Baker Mayfield, whether we like the personality or not, whether we want to see him in any more progressive ads running around the empty stadium, Baker Mayfield has the respect of that team. And he had to earn it. He's gone through his lumps to get there, right? I mean, we, Baker Mayfield in the offseason talking about uh, two years ago, talking about how guys should be handling contract negotiations, found out from the veterans real fast what he needed to be doing. But you know what? He adjusted and he's done it and they have to go and lock him up. Raiders GM Mike Mayock uh, spoke to the media yesterday and uh, talked about, you know, positional needs and it wasn't really tipping his hand, but he also talked about the fact that sitting at 17, they've got to be flexible and willing to move up if someone that they have high on their board starts to slip. Do you think the Raiders will do that? And could Carolina be the team that they work with? Carolina's got the eight pick. Is that too big a move up? Uh, should the Raiders be holding on to all their draft capital instead of going for the big shiny object inside the top 10? Let your circumstances dictate your situation. If you're the Raiders, Steve, Carolina is putting out all of the signals to say, hey, uh, bar closes in half an hour and uh, my standards are not nearly as high as they were at nine o'clock. And <laughs> so if anybody wants to come out here and make an offer before we all got to go home, this would be the time. And that's what Carolina did today. Their, their GM's out there saying, we're very open to trading back from number eight. Not just open, we're very open to trading back from number eight. So if the cost was going to have to be, I don't know, a second and a third, a first and a third to move up, then no, I don't think that the Raiders would be in position to do that. But if they see their guy and Carolina's still out there hanging off the bar stool at 1230, why not? If Carolina does this and they trade back, don't they screw your wheeler and dealer, Dave Gettleman, with the Giants at 11? Because they want to move back too, right? Oh, please. Like he would ever really do it. <laughs> like he would ever really do it. Like Dave Gettleman, dinosaur that he is, would ever really trade back. Just look at the evidence. He has never traded out of the first round. He's not about to start now. You know there will be some sort of player who would have been 2000s Madden cover boy who Dave Gettleman will find at that pick while Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith are still sitting on the board. Gettleman likely to reach at 11 for the 38th prospect. <laughs> for, yeah, exactly. The same guy who drafted a running back at number two and took Andrew Thomas last year when there were pro bowlers behind him like Tristan Wirfs. Yeah, I don't think he's your guy for uh, worrying about whether or not someone else trades up. NFL Insider, Raiders Insider, former Oakland Raider Stanford Route is on the way, and he's going to give us his take on why Mo Hurst was jettisoned, and he's already been picked up by the Niners. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher, and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Now, back to Cofield & Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. studio. Four o'clock hour in Cofield Company means football, 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 especially on Fridays. 
draft is coming up. We got some draft topics to hit on, especially the glamour position, the quarterback. But we do have to talk about the Raiders and the moves of the last week or so. And Stanford Rout played for the Raiders. He's a defensive player, so he knows this stuff inside and out. Stanford, how you doing, buddy? What's going on, fellas? Happy to be back on with you. Thanks for being on. Um, I'm a little confused as to what happened last week. Uh, I mean, I guess it's not a shocker that Arden Key was cut, but Maurice Hurst, who was pretty highly rated by the metrics, he was cut and uh, didn't take long for someone to scoop him up, and they're both going to the Niners. What just happened? Oh, well, we all know in this league, everybody has a difference of opinion. That's why you got 32 different teams, 32 different flavors. And obviously something within Gus Bradley decided that, you know what, he may not fit into the scheme that he's going to implement this coming fall. And at times, whenever you have a new new defense coordinator come in or a new offensive coordinator, certain players that he doesn't feel fit his scheme, fit his mindset, things like that, they'll go ahead and part ways with just because it's going to be somewhat of a new regime. So you got to have new pieces, new ingredients that he can go ahead and he can construct his masterpiece of a meal. Stanford Route is with us here on Cofield and Company. Uh, setting up the draft for the Raiders, it's been interesting here. They still haven't signed a you know traditional veteran free safety. They've bulked up with some more depth at cornerback. How do you think this plays out? Are they going to draft a starting free safety, or is there someone else out there uh, that they could grab, or is someone on the current roster going to be given more of a try? Heath is in the mix, but is someone on the roster going to be a candidate to play free safety? You got still guys out there like a Richard Sherman who already came out and said that he'll be signing after the draft because he understands the logistics. He understands the business side of this league where once you get to April, teams pretty much kind of uh, close ranks. They board up the windows, things like that, as far as not bringing in guys off the street or impending free agents because they're focusing on the draft. You got a Kenny Vaccaro, just like him as well, former Tennessee Titans, New Orleans Saints safety. He's somebody that can go ahead and fit in that role. But I firmly believe that the Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders, are going to go ahead and make sure that they hit hard in the draft, corner, safety, offensive line. It's just a matter of which one of those, which one of those three they choose to go within the first round, the second round, or the third round. Would you be comfy going into this next year with Arnett, Mullen, Abram, and a rookie starting free safety? No, I would not. I still would want some version of a veteran presence, even if it's an older guy who you just signed, kind of like the Miami Heat do with Udonis Haslam. He's just there to be a voice in the locker room. He's there to be a leader, something like that. I think you need to have that veteran presence. But nonetheless, because Gus Bradley's scheme is so basic, because it's based on just, I want you to fly around, whatever you see, go get it. Free safety, you sit back there on the roof. Corners, you play cover three or you play quarters, kind of like that Richard Sherman, Josh Norman technique where you bail out of there, make sure that you stay on top, let the linebackers go ahead and get their drops underneath, and then you got those two bookends in Gothway and Max Crosby go ahead and get after the quarterback. Because it's so simple, I'm not completely unconfident with having that quartet that you just named going out there, but I still would like to have a veteran presence because we all know veterans help you win in this league once you get to the November and December month. Stanford, help take me inside the locker room with something that Mike Mayock talked about in his press availability yesterday. Colt Miller, the young left tackle, got his new deal. Obviously, it took some of the money that was moved out uh, with Gabe Jackson and Rodney Hudson to be able to do that. But Mike Mayock said that he felt like that deal sent a signal to the locker room that 
we'll take care of our guys. I, I'm curious because I certainly could see it that way. But I also look at the fact that two veteran guys who had been respected forces in that locker room in Hudson and Jackson for a long time were sent out and immediately they got their money elsewhere. So do you think that Mike Mayock is right about the kind of message that the Colton Miller deal sends to the locker room? I think Mike Mayock is both right and he's wrong as well because looking at it from two different standpoints, and I want you guys to go ahead and follow me on this. If I'm a Jonathan Abram, if I'm a Josh Jacobs, if I'm a young guy that's been recently drafted by the Las Vegas Raiders, Max Crosby, and I see the Colton Miller deal, I am extremely motivated to come to work every day because I, I now see, oh my goodness, look at Colton Miller. Pretty good start to his career. Hasn't been no Pro Bowl or anything yet. Didn't make all pro, but young, up-and-coming tackle. They just now moved him to the left side. He's going to be replacing Trent Brown. So you can see, okay, you go ahead, you do your thing for the franchise, Mike Mayock, he's going to take care of you. Now, if you're an older player, you're somebody who's already on his second contract, somebody who's already received his long-term extension, things like that, then you can start to see, okay, it looks like Mike Mayock and it looks like Gruden are more on a tip where they want to go ahead and go younger. They want to go ahead and really push the young players, see what they have with those guys, and try to push me out of the door. So while it's motivating certain players on the team, the young guys, it also is discouraging older players, the veterans, because we can clearly see you're willing to part ways with Trent Brown, who's been, who was a uh, Las Vegas slash Oakland slash Las Vegas Raider for two years, went to two Pro Bowls. Rodney Hudson, I remember my final year in Kansas City, I remember he was on the team, and I don't even know how many Pro Bowls Rodney Hudson has been to in the 2010 to 2020 decade, I know it was several, and they let him walk right out the front door. I'm sorry, they traded it. So for an older player, it does kind of perplex you a little bit because you're like, okay, even if I'm good, it seems that they're still trying to go younger. So at the expense of the production at the position, they will go ahead and do that just so they can get younger. So is there anything that management can say at this point to smooth that over, to kind of smooth no. that divide, or does that no. have to come from the players in some way? Or am I wrong about this? Is there no is there no smoothing it over? Is that just like, okay, that's the message, and when it comes time to you know deal with both the rookies and the veterans, that there's going to be some level of divide there? The only way that Mike Mayock can smooth this over or try to mend that fence would be to pick a veteran right now on the team, not named Derek Carr, because we all know quarterbacks are viewed differently, not named Derek Carr and quickly give him an extension right now, like two years after he just gave him a prior extension. But other than that, no, you really can't do, you really can't do too much about it because the die has already been cast. They let go of Trent Brown, two years, two Pro Bowls. I get it. Wasn't always available. They're running with COVID, things like that. I understand that completely. Gabe Jackson, Rodney Hudson has been to, I don't even know how many Pro Bowls, just like I said a few seconds ago, and they're willing to part ways with those guys. And not because they just drafted a first-round center out of Alabama or they just drafted a guard or something like that to replace Gabe Jackson. This is before the draft. And the Raiders only have one first-round pick. So it just goes to show they are about the young tip right now. They are about pushing the younger players, seeing what they have. They're about going younger. Period. And there's not much that Mike Mayock can do to convince a veteran that he is not believing what his eyes are telling him right in front of him.
Stanford Route, former Raider, joining us here on Cofield and Company. Stanford, we've talked to you plenty about the Texans organization where you spent some time and uh, the issues with the management there when we were first discussing oh, everything oh, around Deshaun Watson. I'm curious if you were still a member of the Raiders organization this week and had seen the tweet that Mark Davis has now attributed to himself following the George Floyd trial, what would your opinion be? Oh, wow. I remember when that tweet actually came through and I seen everybody give their opinions about it on social media. And I think that it's twofold. I think that obviously Mark Davis had good intention. I, I know Mark Davis. I've met him before. I remember talking to him a few times back when Al was alive, God rest his soul, back in uh, my last few years in Oakland. So Mark Davis, his heart was in the right place. Where it's tone deaf is because there have been numerous African-American citizens of this country whom their last few breaths on earth were, I can't breathe or get your knee off of my neck, things like that. So for him to say that, it's a bit tone deaf, but his heart was in the right place, clearly. He wasn't trying to mock the situation. He wasn't trying to go and scream out, you know what, I don't believe in Black Lives Matter, or I don't really care that that man got killed at the hands of Derek Chavez. It wasn't like that. Clearly, Mark Davis's heart was in the right place. But that's where we all, as people, all of us, need to make sure that we are all aware of what's going on. Do more research, understand, because just like me, if I go and I make a statement about something having to do with a victim of a hate crime, let's say an Asian hate crime, and I make a statement and it's offensive to them because I simply am tone deaf to the situation and the timing, that's on me. That's not on, well, you know what, they took what I said out of context. No, I got to be better with how I show my support. I can't just show my support and be like, hey, you know what, I show support, so, you know, you shouldn't take what I say out of context. I need to make sure that I'm within the context and I'm within the sensitivity and the severity at which this type of situation and the climate within this country that it brings. So I don't think that it was malicious. Obviously, like I said before, it was a bit tone deaf, and like he like he said, he's got to do more research. He's got to be more knowledgeable on the situation, and I believe him. I'm going to hold him at his word, but for him to go ahead and join in everybody that was showing their sorrow, that was showing their sensitivity, that was showing their compassion when that verdict came down on Tuesday afternoon, that was something that I took as heartwarming in itself. And also, the fact that George Floyd's brother made a statement actually backing what Mark Davis said, that gave me some more solace, like, okay, you know what, I'm not completely off my rocker when I'm initially thinking, Mark Davis, his his heart was in the right place, it just was a little bit ill-advised because it was tone-deaf to the situation as far as how he showed his compassion. That's the voice of Stanford Rowd. He's on Cofield and Company, the former Raider. Let's close out back on the draft and, you know, the, some of the real intriguing spots in this first round. Uh, we talked to a Niners expert earlier who was predicting at three that the Niners would take quarterback Trey Lance. So in that case, they're taking the project, probably keeping around Jimmy G. They could take Mac Jones, who might be able to step in and play right away. They could take Justin Fields, who may be able to play right away. But I don't know. It's been weird, Stanford. There's been a lot of slicing and dicing of Justin Fields. So, how do you feel about the three slot, and which of those three guys would you take? I mean, like, 
Steve, like, I've heard Justin Fields. I've heard Trey Lance. We've heard Mac Jones. Like, real soon, probably Monday, you're going to hear that the San Francisco 49ers are projected to draft me with the number three overall pick to play quarterback <laughs> for him for crying out loud. Like, it just seems like every two days there's a new report or a new projection. I think no matter what, outside of Trevor Lawrence, everybody is a needs to be in a certain scheme, have X, Y, and Z around him to be successful. That's how I feel about all the quarterbacks in this draft, not named Trevor Lawrence, and even him to a certain degree. It's going to be very interesting to watch how he performs when for the first time, probably since high school or middle school, he does not simply have the better players, receiver, tackle, running back, tight end. He just simply does not have the better team around him. I think everybody is flawed to a degree. But as far as the three guys that you just named, I think that some have they all have their strengths, they all have their weaknesses. I really can't just give you a name because Trey Lance, in my opinion, hasn't he doesn't have enough experience, especially enough experience against top notch talent that he'd be going against in the NFL. Justin Fields, same thing as uh, Trevor Lawrence. You play at Ohio State where you got first rounders coming out every year. You walk on the field, you instantly are better than Iowa, Indiana, Northwestern, Michigan, Rutgers, Nebraska. You're instantly better than those teams. So how much credit can I really give you for having a stellar record and throwing for a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns? That's just kind of how I look at it. And Matt Jones, the same exact way. You got Devontae Smith. You got Jalen Waddle. You got Najee Harris in the backfield. You got an offensive line that all of them are going to sniff the NFL one day when their time comes. How much credit can I really give you for balling out of control when you simply are just walking onto the field and you have the better team? The corners that are getting outran by the receivers. The linebackers can't hold up with your tight end. The linebackers can't tackle Najee Harris in the open field. So I think everybody has a uh, everybody has a flaw to a certain degree. I think that whoever they pick, Kyle Shanahan is going to have to make sure that he has the perfect scheme around him to not put everything on his shoulders, almost kind of like what they did for Jimmy G in the 2019 season when they went all the way to the Super Bowl. It's going to have to be something like that. So to be honest with you, I really don't have a – pick out of those three guys who I think is the clear-cut favorite. I'm sorry, I don't. If I told you, Stanford, that, say, Justin Fields at three for the Niners would be Donovan McNabb, would you take him? Oh, hell yes. Donovan McNabb was a dog in this league. Donovan McNabb was a fantastic player. Obviously, Philadelphia Eagles fans come down on him because he was never able to get over the hump when a Super Bowl, things like that. But Donovan McNabb had a fantastic career. So if you're telling me that Justin Fields will be Donovan McNabb, oh, sign me up. I'm turning in that card right now to the commissioner. All right. Well, the, I based that on the fact that a uh, anonymous scout told uh, a media member that uh, he's a very smart guy. I see all the tools. If he's good, he can be a Donovan McNabb, but he is going to need a redshirt year. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of people out there right now, though, Stanford, who, are, who hear that and they're like, Donovan McNabb, that's not good enough. Uh, to take a number yeah, three. He wasn't that good. And also, like, it, 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 and they need to just shut the hell up. Not everybody's <laughs> going to be Tom Brady or Joe Montana. Like, shut the hell up. The Philadelphia Eagles, what, what was it? Was it four or five straight NFC title games? I forget. Which was it, guys? Four? Four. Yeah, it was four or five. Something like that. Like, 
what more can you ask for? Like, jeez. That's like saying, oh, my God, uh, uh, Jim Kelly wasn't that good. They went to four straight Super Bowls. And you like, and you want to sit up here and actually try to detract from his greatness? And they went to four straight Super Bowls? So same thing for Don McNabb. Anybody that says that, Philadelphia Eagles fans uh, specifically, they need to just shut the hell up. But also, let me ask you guys this. Aren't you tired of the anonymous source, the anonymous scout, the anonymous NFL executive? Like, if you're going to say something, put your damn name on it. Or don't say nothing at all. Well, I, I mean, I, as, a, as a former player, I could see you being tired of it. As a media member and a sports talk host, the anonymity actually allows them to be brutally honest, so we get a lot of good stuff down the stretch of the draft. Oh, no, I mean, obviously, I see the upside to it. But, yeah, like the player inside of me, that's one thing coaches used to always say. Like, if you're going to say something, put your name on it. Don't be the, the anonymous source. Like, that just, to me, if you're going to say something good or say something bad, at least have the balls to stand on it and own it. Just like anything that I say on this network, I stand on it. I own it. And any backlash that comes at me, then you know what? Whatever. That's just the cost of having an opinion on planet Earth. Stanford, we know you've been very careful the last uh, 13, 14 months. So what's happening down there? You starting to open up? You starting to go out? Well, um, not exactly. Maybe just a teeny weeny bit. Uh, I'm now fully vaccinated. I got my second vaccine shot uh, three weeks ago. Uh, I, I'm someone who's always trying to be as healthy as I can. I juice on a on a regular basis. I try to maintain a great workout regimen. Remember, I just got finished working out uh, right before uh, right before this segment. So nice. things are starting to slowly get back to normal just a little bit. Not all the way, uh, but eventually uh, – I will start to get back out there a little bit more as far as like being in public. We're already back to working out at the high school. We'll be starting spring football in about a week and a half. So that's already getting underway. Uh, but, you know, hopefully, like I said, we can get back to the way normal life once was before this thing took the entire planet by storm um, early 2020. Stanford, appreciate it. Thank you so much. You guys be good. I'll talk to you next week. There he is, Stanford Rout, the former Oakland Raider. And, you know, it's funny, Ari came to me towards the end of the football season, and he's like, you know, uh, I'm an eternal lockdowner, and Stanford has been staying in. We need to keep Stanford around for months and months and months. He he loves Stanford. Let me tell you, he, we got some breaking news on the getting out there and doing some new things. Raj Gradell, Roger Goodell is fully vaccinated. You know what that means? Come on over. Give me a big hug, buddy. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios. Time now for Dustin DeHart's Club 99. Back to Steve Cofield. All right, time to rate stuff on the Madden scale. I'll start off. Cleveland, 27. Now, what I'm referencing is, Candy, have you seen any pictures of the setup in Cleveland for the NFL draft? Not a one. Okay. I will send you one, and then we'll send it out on uh, ESPN Las Vegas. Lewis Riddick tweeted out a picture. Maybe you want to punch up Lou's Twitter account, but Lewis Riddick sent out a picture. I'm not exactly sure if this is the whole shebang, but it was basically like this you know, giant – stage canopy thing 
and it it basically just looked like like a parking lot. There's a parking garage within sight. Uh, the lake is behind it, so maybe that'll look spectacular. This is an evening draft. That can't be the setup, right? Aren't they aren't they doing it? Wouldn't you do it somewhere, like with buildings around? And I don't know. It's weird. I, I'm confused by the picture. Maybe he's joking. Maybe it's just honest. <laughs> what are you, you going to do it? Do it at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You know, like do it at Drew Carey's house? I, I, I don't know where else you're going to do this in Cleveland that's going to be like the Cleveland spot. I don't know, man. I'm looking at some mock-ups. They look better than the picture I saw. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reserve judgment on this before we start bashing on Cleveland. And obviously, no, we know whatever they do, is not going to match what we do. So good luck trying, but we're going to crush you in terms of the festivities and the enormity of the event. You saw what the plans were last year when we were going to have it, and it was going to be pretty freaking, pretty freaking epic. Uh, so Roger Goodell is fully vaccinated. Do you want to hug Roger Goodell? Want nothing more in this life than to hug Roger Goodell and see if I can steal some of that $44 million right out of his back pocket. Annual salary for Roger is something I have great envy of. You have been careful, just like Ari has been careful, just like Stanford Route has been careful in some 20-plus days. It's actually 30-plus days. Uh, less than, you know, whatever, 36 days. Are you going to be bro-hugging for special occasions? I don't even know if you were a bro-hugger to begin with. Am I going to be bro-hugging for special occasions any more than I was in the first place? No. I mean, look, I will say... I. I took my very first what I thought was a big step for me last night and had dinner on a patio amongst other people. Went to a restaurant. Okay. Had a server come into the table, shoved some ribs in my face, and everything was great. Wow. Right? There's a lot of fascinating. There's a ton of fascinating elements in just what you delivered right there. Ari, you have any questions? Based on what he just said? No. Okay. Um, I've been out. What do you mean you've been out? No, I, I mean, like, just off of, I just meant off of what Candy said about it, his, you know, his, his first experience or most recent experience getting out into the open. No, it sounds about right. I guess with just how was the crowd would be my only other question. Okay. I mean, I didn't really like the, the other families who came up right over my shoulder and were like breathing on me, looking at my ribs. Um, but other, other than that, it was great. Ari, dude, like we're all, you know, I appreciate you asking. I actually will tell you, I went and scouted out the restaurant earlier in the afternoon and made sure that I was comfortable with how the patio looked, made sure that the tables really were spaced out, made sure that people were wearing masks because I wasn't going to get there and screw up dinner for everybody else. Like, oh, no, 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 I I can't do this. So I think it might be a long time before I'm bro hugging anybody who hasn't shown me their vaccination card, Steve. Sure. But Goodell is vaccinated, so you should bro hug him if you get the chance. Uh, this takes me back early because I, I went out a little more than you guys and I was doing a lot of road shows. I'm still doing the road shows. And, we, you know, we, we broke out on Cofield and Company on the road pretty early. Um, and I can remember when we, you know, we knew a lot less and about COVID and it was, you know, more severe in terms of the fears and the unknowns. I remember w- one of the first meals I went out for was actually meeting Big Mac 
right? Big Mac and I will meet up every once in a while. And, you know, we're both hefty fellas. So to be a hefty fellow, that requires late night eating. You're not, you're not going to get mushy like this unless you're eating after 11 o'clock. And, you know, that's when the specials happen too. Uh, happy hour specials on food. And I remember one of the first meals I had out when things started to open up, this is back probably whatever, June, July, I ordered wings. And then I was like, wait, we're not supposed to touch anything. We're supposed to be sanitizing all the time. Why am I eating food and like basically putting my fingers in my mouth? I'm not saying I was doing that, but you know, there's a lot of cross pollination. It's been okay. I didn't get COVID. Did you, did you second guess yourself once you went into the slop mode of eating ribs or don't, Ooh, this could get you in a lot of trouble. Were you a fork and knifer rib guy? I've been on this show with you, Steve, for more than two years, more than two years. And I am not sure you have ever said anything more insulting to me (laughs) than you just did in that moment. Fork and knife rib guy. Let me stick my pinky in the air while I eat them, too. And no, I didn't worry about it. Okay, good. I took every glorious piece of that pig, put it in two hands, and shoved it down my pie hole. Once I got comfortable with the idea of the fact that I was out to dinner for the first time since March of 2020. Wow. I went for it. Well, that's good. Go for the gusto. Um, I, you know, I noticed when I was in California last weekend, they actually have a suggested rule. And I was kind of wondered about this. Uh, their suggestion was that every time the server walked up, whenever it was in the meal that you should put your mask on. Have you thought about that? Were you, were you going mask off, mask on, mask off, mask on when the server walked up to the table out of respect? I actually thought about that quite a bit. And I generally either had a drink in my hand or food going toward my mouth throughout this meal and yet here comes the server with the mask on and i feel badly right and I actually just read an article in the washington post uh this morning that asked that question and they basically said yeah it's it's really just a question of respect because it's probably not a question of transmission unless you know you're going to be having the server come <laughs> right up in your face and coughing on you or coughing on them right time right now for a giveaway caller 11 vip package from Floyd's, Floyd's 99 cuts and color. The winner gets the uh, VIP pack of a haircut, hot lather, neck shave, shoulder massage, plus the uh, free massage shampoo. It's Floyd's 99 cuts and colors. Call or 11 right now, 364-1100, You got two locations of Floyd's 99 cuts and colors in Henderson at Stephanie and Sunset. And South Rainbow in 215. It's Floyd's 99 cuts and color. Uh, one other important story to hit in Club 99. Arash, king of Vegas, king of L.A., the man about town, the man about the country. He says, LAFC announced today that they will debut the club's first fully vaccinated only section for members of the uh, one of the local unions in the North End for their upcoming match with the Seattle Sounders FC. I'm well, let me get your reaction first. What do you think of that? A fully vaccinated section. I think it's a great idea for people like Ari and me who are looking for a little extra level of comfort to get back out there and be part of the games, right? I don't I don't mind the idea at all. The Dodgers are actually going the same way. The LA Dodgers are going to have fully vaccinated sections at Dodger Stadium. Is this mean to say 
Should the well, first of all, is there going to be distancing on the fully vaccinated section? Uh, that's what I don't know. Or are they cramming more people into that section? You know, I haven't seen all of the the details on it yet, so I'm not really sure. But I do know that if you told me that that was a fully vaccinated section, I probably would be less concerned about how close someone was to me. What if you're an eternal distancer like me? Oh, that is a great point. Um, should I, if, actually, yeah. should I not get more room around me as incentive for getting the vaccine and the people who don't want to get the vaccine actually can sit all over each other and be over there in the end zone? Well, I think there's an easy solution. Not, not, if, not to be a hater of people who are afraid of the vaccine. So. No, no, no. I, I think you there's an easy solution for you, and you touched on it in the earlier part of the segment. You said late-night eaters are hefty people, yeah. right? You need to yeah. be a late-night eater to become heftier. I think you need to jam down a few more late-night wings, and that way you will create more space around yourself. You could be one of those guys who ends up needing like a seat and a half Right. Like you could have a little bit of a little spillage coming over the armrest. Maybe you go for maybe a, maybe no old spice, maybe no speed stick for a day or two before you go to the game. And maybe you get a little natural distance built in there. Let's maybe get you don't it right. have to worry about what the rules are. Let's get it right. I slather myself in Paco Rabanne. Club 99 is presented by Dustin DeHart at Nova Home Loans. Want to talk interest rates and ask about getting your mortgage tuned up? Dustin is Cofield's real estate guy. He needs to be yours, too. Call Dustin DeHart at 577-2600. It's Cofield and Company's eye on sports gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. Brute Canoe Mandem Macho Musk And just Musk Should I have gone that route Instead of the Paco Raban reference When I was talking about Slathering myself in old-timey 70s men's cologne. Absolutely not. Just because Ari didn't understand it doesn't mean I didn't love it. <laughs> we went we went to break, and Ari's like, well, what'd you just say? No idea. That's how you know it was perfect. It's a great 70s reference that I have no idea. What, a, what would be an old-timey, like, mid-90s reference from... Ari, which, by the way, we've, we've gone through this before. Most of us have no idea how old Ari is. At times, we think he's 25. At times, we think he's upwards of 60. That's right. I'm not talking. I'm pretty sure if we had said Axe body spray, Ari would have been all over oh, it. I, I think Old Spice is about my era. That's, that's fine. Acceptable. Yes. Acceptable. All right, some gambling news. Well, not really. I did. I did want to uh, throw in because we hadn't gotten to it today that uh, more of the UNLV running Rebel players who went into the portal are coming out. Uh, big news here: Brent Edo Delcadia has decided that uh, he's going to go to Nickel State. So the we don't know where the remaining. Well, the last big from the roster. Mbake Jong. Did I miss it? Did Jong commit somewhere? Uh, we don't know where Jong is yet. But uh, Delcadia winds up at Nickel State, and uh, Jalen Martinez, the freshman uh, who didn't get a chance to play under Otts, uh, he landed at UC Riverside. So kind of interesting mix of where guys have uh, 
turned up, right? Some went up in terms of level. Some went to power five. Others went down a level. Uh, some went laterally. Uh, you know, some believe that Donovan Yap made a really good decision in landing at Fresno State. And when you look at what is the purpose of the transfer portal, it is to give players an opinion and a voice about where they end up next, right? And so you let that player evaluate his market and figure out, okay, am I a guy who I think is just in need of more playing time? Maybe then I do take a step down. Maybe I do go to Nickel State if I'm Del Cadia and say, all right, that's about the level for me to be able to you know, make my way into a bigger role. Maybe you end up like Amari Hardy, a guy who was a lead guard for UNLV, goes up to Oregon, becomes a sixth, seventh man, doesn't play nearly as much, but ends up being a big factor on a team that made a deep run into the tournament. But that's the whole idea. That's the whole idea. We give guys the choice. Let's talk the fight game when it comes to odds. Uh, Candy, I, I know you guys are more on the kind of the hardcore nuts and bolts at LegalSportsReport.com. Did you get any indication of how well that celebrity weird setup fight last week did the boxing match with Ben Askren and Jake Paul? Uh, just anecdotally, for the most part, and it apparently did relatively well. Uh, more people bet on this thing than I anticipated that they would. And I think part of it's also where we are in the sports calendar, too. Like We're, we're past football. We're past March Madness. We're past Masters. Like... Yeah, you're kind of looking for something, right? You're kind of looking for for a little pop or something. And I think enough people were interested in the spectacle of the thing that if you're going to watch it, you might as well put something down on it. Yeah, we had uh, Jeffrey Benson from Circa, and he said, yeah, let's bring on more of those fights. It, it turned out to be a you know freaking well-received fight in terms of wagering. Uh, John Murray from the Westgate uh, said, hey, biggest boxing match in terms of handle of the year. I wonder where this is going. Cause we could have a June 5th exhibition. I don't know that you can bet on an exhibition though, uh, with Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul. And I kind of wonder where it puts the UFC. Cause you know, I like MMA and I covered it for a long time. I'm going to be honest here with you from last week on, I was out of town and I was following the Jake Paul Askren fight. Cause I bet it, I bet it incorrectly. Askren had him at plus two ten value. And then he, he just, he was terrible. I never saw results from the UFC event last week. Every, all of Twitter was swallowed up by the Jake Paul fight. And I wonder moving forward how UFC looks at that. Now, they've got a good card this weekend. They've got uh, Usman and Masvidal going at it in Jacksonville, Florida. They've got three title fights on the card. So I'm sure it'll do well. It'll get social media buzz. Uh, they tentatively have a June 5th card slated to go I, if it's against Floyd and Logan Paul good luck it's going to get swallowed up which brings me to I don't know if you saw this one they still have not booked one of their biggest fights of the year and that is monstrous heavyweight Francis Ngannou who's you know really arrived now he had a win over Stipe Miocic and John Jones has bulked up from light heavyweight to a probably 245 pounds so they're setting up this fight and then Dana White comes out today and he's like, yeah, John Jones wants 30 million. So we're going to look at another fight. And I'm like, wait, what, what's happening here? Cause my, my first reaction to the 30 million was, and give it to him. I mean, you're, you're not a gigantic UFC fan. What do you think about this from afar that, uh, we're now playing games with the money and basically trying to suggest that John Jones is being greedy. My thought is stop negotiating in public because that's low grade. Like, whatever the guy wants is whatever the guy wants, and 
you're worth whatever someone will give you. And so being called out for it in public is shaming him. So now what have you done to the guy? Like if John Jones comes back and takes 20 million now, then what have you done? You beat him down into place. Is that what Dana White needed to do here? I, I don't get it at all. Like you're going to find profit not that hard to come by if you're able to get John Jones back into the octagon. And look, I'm not a huge fan. That is a name that would get my attention. And if that's sort of my trigger, if I know someone, if I can recognize the guy, then obviously it is a big name for the sport. In the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to find out about the therapy bunny. And after seeing some stories today about the Raiders and the quarterback position, will Derek Carr be looking for the therapy bunny? Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.